to the Mime Radio Show podcast. I'm Karen Hoyer. And I'm James Donlan here in California. Karen's in Chicago. And the world of Zoom and modern life allows us to contact interesting people and ourselves across the wide world. And helping us do that is our producer, somewhere behind our screens in the darkness with his little lights and his buttons and all his consoles and <laughs> keyboards is our producer, Michael Diaz, who makes us who we are. So Karen, we have to toe the line because if we don't, Michael can cut us off at any time. Yes, and I think we're traveling all the way to Switzerland today. That's right, and I'm really excited about this because there's been a film created by a wonderful young filmmaker. It's called The Art of Silence. And the filmmaker is Marizia Strooks, and my accent is not too good. But let me tell you something about him. Some of you may have heard about this film, especially those of you who have studied and practiced mime. The Art of Silence is the film. And the filmmaker is Mauritius Drucks. He is a celebrated Swiss-German filmmaker and sound artist based in Zurich, Switzerland. Influenced by musical instruments and sign language, he moves between the worlds of language and images, which come together in film. His debut film, Concrete Love, was shown in over 30 countries and won multiple awards. Since 2017, he has been imparting his passion for film and sound as a lecturer at the Zurich University of the Arts. In 2022, Mauritius made the stunning film, The Art of Silence a documentary studying the life of legendary mime Marcel Marceau. The tragic background behind Marceau's work has remained hidden for a long time. The Art of Silence sheds new light on his life and unique art form, which his family and companions keep alive to this day. Mauritius says, in quotes, I grew up with a deaf father. From an early age, my visual attention was nurtured because my life sometimes resembled a silent movie. And with that, let's welcome in Mauritius Drucks from Zurich. Hello. 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 Hi, everyone. Thank you for the invitation. <laughs> yes, it's so yeah, wonderful to have you with us on the Mime Radio Show podcast. Um, and I really want to hear what inspired you to start this project and how it got started. But first, I want to ask you about the opening image and this recurring image that you have of the water. And there's this beautiful image of a, a gesture that is created with the image of water. And the thing that resonated with me is as a mime artist, when we study uh, resistance, trying to, to show something that's not there to show resistance or effort, we think of it as moving through water so that instead of just waving through the air, we have a certain amount of resistance as if you're walking through water. So there's a beautiful image to start this movie. What inspired that? Well, actually this is, uh, this was a process. Um, when I started to do this project about Marcel Marceau, uh, actually, I was really afraid of because I uh, I've never met him. So doing a film about a person who you can't speak to anymore is uh, is really challenging. So 
I was afraid of doing this. So the first thing you do is you just watch what is left. And I found a lot of archive footage of him. Uh, I watched maybe over 3000 hours of footage. And, you know, I, I tried to find a truth in there. And some material was interesting, some not so much. But the next question I I had a was how to how to handle this material i mean we can do just a normal film by by editing different kinds of archive material together to tell something but you can also try to put yourself into this material so i start to experiment with this and i did a lot of projections with archive material on water on the surface so in the film but maybe this is another topic the the nature the environment is uh, is really important mm -hmm. uh, so the film also in the beginning established this this uh this perspective that we are telling a, f a film about a person who maybe is dead but something is left mm -hmm. and we are following these traces so from this point of view, I started to create these images and on and on it got like the idea of water, of movement, of coming together. And like in the end, the water is going to a specific place near the ocean uh, mm -hmm. where the final scene is taking place. So yeah, it's very beautiful. The, uh, as Carrie was saying, the visceral connection to physics and nature and the universe is that you know the, how you you come against a force there's yourself and then there's the other and water is such a and it, and it was our you know the human the homo sapien came from water they say you know we all <laughs> sprung out of water but that yeah you know, it's a very beautiful image that you've um, you know the river of life all these metaphors that you could could speak about so that's very proud i think you're exactly right with this connection to nature and uh, there's some really beautiful uh references to that which i i think which we'll ask about you later is you know i think it probably provoked your sense of sound design too like how to integrate um that which is also becomes present in that in that first theme yeah mm -hmm. yes yeah, yeah. um i have lots of questions i wrote down you know we're not going to ask you the typical questions <laughs> of the mind right and, and um <laughs> But I'm really curious. Your film is so provoking with thoughts, not only because of history and and the the sense of being human and uh, the emotional fabric of how, who people are and where we've come from, where we've been to, the sense of family. There's so much in this film that's bigger than than just the art of mine. Um, and um, could you speak just a little bit about what inspired you to 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 search out this material um yeah yeah well actually um like like you introduced me uh, i grew up with a father who's deaf and uh, this handicap was always a problem for him of course like in the age w where he grew up it was forbidden to speak with hands so he kind of had to adapt to the normal hearing people and this is a suffering problem he still has. So discovering mime was amazing for my father. I think it gave him so much freedom. And I think it's one of the reasons why he became a mime himself. 
I think he's talented, so he could become a mime. But the inner idea that you find a way to express yourself and to understand, okay, we can communicate with each other uh, and overcome any borders, ling linguistic borders, and so on. This was really important for him and saved his life, you know. So I'm deeply touched by this. Uh, and I saw my father a lot on stage. Uh, I have artist parents, so I traveled around with them as a child. And as a child, mime is wonderful. I mean, it's the world of the imaginary. You, you yeah. dream with it, you go with it. So when I grew up, you know, I was a bit fed up. I thought, yeah, okay, again, a mime number, you know, <laughs> I wanted to go more into the concerts and music and experience other stuff. So like, yeah, normal, <laughs> normal teenager. Uh, so if you would have asked me to do a film about mime, I would say never in my whole life, I would do a film about mime, never, never, ever. So you mentioned my last film, Concrete Love, and I uh, showed this film in New York and I was invited for dinner. And I, I got to know to an old lady who was sitting next to me and she told me that she was saved by a mime. Her life was saved by a mime. Oh. And this sentence was so strange for me. I mean, how could a mime save one's life? I mean, how does it work? Like open a door, a hidden door and go into it. Like, what, <laughs> what does she mean? I, I was so confused and intrigued as well. And actually she told me that she, uh, she was a Jewish child in France and, uh, uh, and she tried to escape from France to Switzerland. And there was a small group of people who helped her. And one person in this group was Marcel, oh. Marceau. Actually, mm -hmm. his real name was Marcel Mangel. He mm -hmm. was uh, a Jewish uh, person mm -hmm. and was part of kind of part of the resistance and helped children to cross the border to Switzerland. So kind of I saw there a connection between uh, like between um, these children who learned to act to be somebody else and to be a mime where you, I think you don't act, you, you, you have to be mm -hmm. somebody else to make belief that you are this. And I think this is the, for me, this was always the power of mime. When I see somebody on stage, I don't have the feeling of acting anymore, but I believe that this person is now a stone or a tiger or anything. I mean, this is like the thing we have with children. Mm -hmm. We say mm -hmm. children don't play. They, they are things, you know, they don't, act uh to be a tiger that are a real tiger you know yeah it's sorcery it's like it's magic you know there's yeah. Magic. yeah 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 so i i i had to kind of i saw i saw a link between these things and i was really intrigued and this was kind of the point where i thought okay maybe it is worth to overcome my cliche of mine yeah, yeah. and to rewatch all the uh, all the mime numbers I saw by my father and to rethink why he was doing this and maybe also why Maso was all doing this and this was the starting point and it got really interesting for me even though I couldn't speak to Maso anymore you know 
it seems like it, you're talking about saving your life. And in one sense, it saved your father's life, too. And maybe you weren't aware of that until you were older and you saw, you know, deep more deeply into that world. Did it change? Um, was your relationship yeah. or your understanding of your father, did it change after working in this project? Did it change him? I mean, what what it seems like there would be some metamorphosis and some some. Uh, transformations possibly or maybe they were always there but they were defined now you know yeah i mean uh as soon as i started the project you kind of have a script and for documentary a script is really special because you can't predict the future so it shows more where you want to go into and what you want to experience or explore and you have a director's note where you write about your motivation. So my motivation was more or less what I told you right now. And in the script, my father was not present at all. So I plan to do a film without my father, just about Maso, his family and other people. And for me, it was totally clear that I would never, ever film my father because uh, I just didn't want to do, you know, like this father-son film and go with camera to the father and say like ah what you're doing and how's our relationship you know i would never ever start a project like this you know so i completely forgot my father i did this film i started shooting i started editing maybe for two three years and then COVID came there was this lockdown we couldn't keep on shooting and we almost have had a finished film you know it was almost finished and we all uh, like the producers and the editor and me we just watched this film and it was nice but it was kind of you know like another documentary by somebody you know it, it could yeah it could have, have been done by anyone kind of so the, it was almost the editor who, who told me, like, actually, why I said yes to this project is because you told me about your background. And I, I think we should kind of try to put it in the film a bit that the audience can experience it. And COVID was like an invitation to spend more time with your family. Yeah. So I felt okay shooting with my father because I accomplished already the film. It was a complete different situation than starting a film about somebody you don't know about, like a huge legendary mime about a lot of people and archive material you have to contact and like get the rights and stuff like all this difficult stuff, you know, you could avoid it and just go to your father and start, let's, let's film, you know? So it was much easier to go to him in the end. And I knew exactly what was missing. And I just shot two days with him, just two days of filming. And he's pretty present in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's that the particular uh, study of him and his connection to the work was very inspirational for me because I'm an older mime. I might be, I might be a little younger than your father, but maybe we're the same age. I'm not sure. But mm -hmm. um, his appearance in the film was very powerful for me. And it, uh, it also inspired me as a old mime to, to appreciate where I'd come from and what I felt now or where I was going. And I, what was a particularly interesting with his presence is that I really did feel nature. I think, 
you know, the scene with the hands in front of the water, the scene with the sand at the end. I mean, those are very, very powerful for people like myself. So yeah, we, I, we have to make it really clear to our listeners that this is not your ordinary documentary. It's not right. people, you know, talking heads is what, what we assume is a documentary is people talking about something. This is such a beautifully photographed artistic film. And the way that you take these visual images from all these different sources and you put them together, you tell the story by putting those two things together without someone explaining, you know, this is what happened to Marceau in his life growing up, but putting those images together from the past and, and from the present is just a, a really fascinating way that you brought this all together. What surprised you when you were in the process during the project? What particularly might have surprised you that you weren't aware of um, that you discovered or or provoked you to to want to do more? You know. Well, actually, like doing documentary, it's like a luxury, and it's like that's what I love. It's like you you get surprised by every day, and you have to be open every day because you can't predict things. But basically, I, I love to spend time together with people. And what really surprised me is when I knew, okay, I, I start this project about, about Marcel Masso, but he's already dead. I tried to contact his family. And then I uh, found out that his cousin is still alive. And I was really lucky uh, when I met him because he was pretty, still pretty young. He was only 104 years old. <laughs> <laughs> after 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 the after finishing shooting with him over the years he died with 108 years wow. so i had enough time to 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 uh, yeah to shoot with him and spend time and experience. he's a wonderful wonderful character it's so like you captured you captured him right before he died you were able to get him on yeah like i had for 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 years i you know and this is this is the thing what you mentioned about a normal documentary kind of what you would do in a normal documentary on like because of time and money you 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 would try to contact somebody you would visit this person prepare an interview ask questions maybe person is giving you the right answers maybe you don't get what you expected maybe you feel there's maybe a mystery or a secret behind it and you try to get it but of course you don't get it because you don't know this person so you go home and if you do a normal documentary you have to deliver this documentary by end of the year or end of the month or even by end of the day i don't know <laughs> <laughs> so the way i work is after this first meeting i think like okay we filmed the whole day but i won't use this material at all it was just to get to know each other. And then there's kind of a love story who might begin, because if you do this kind of film, you kind of have to fall in love each other. So I have to fall in love with this protagonist and the protagonist has to fall in love, not with me, but maybe with the project or with, with something uh, with the film, you know, the protagonist has to feel that the film is an invitation to explore himself or to discover something new. Mm -hmm. And I think then we can then we can meet on a completely different level and we can redo an interview or shooting, but it will 
it would be about something else. Mm-hmm. So that's why I need I need a lot of time to spend with people and I revisit them. Mm-hmm. And with George, we're talking about George, this 104 year old person, for example, he talked talked me how he was in the resistance, how he helped the children together with Marcel Marceau to cross the border and so on. But he told me also historian stuff, which was important, but like only the last meeting, he sh- he kind of wanted to show me the secret why he thinks he survived all this difficult times and why he thinks he's immortal. And he showed me his uh, exercise he's doing yes. every day, you know, in order to survive. And so I discovered a, a person who, who truly believes in the connection between his soul and his body. And you were asking about something who surprised me. This this was a key element where I also felt this existential question about this, yeah, this need to survive or, yeah, how he, mine. Uh, he went in, in that particular section, everyone should watch this film because he goes into the depths of a surprising place you wouldn't even expect when you're describing <laughs> yeah. the exercises with his... Poor sexual organ, you know, like it's like you know, like he was charming. He was so it was so wonderful. Profound. Um, It really is. So I have a question for you that was puzzling me. How how did you connect with Marceau's uh, family, with his wife and his two daughters, his grandson? They, They have a huge part in in continuing Marceau's work, and they're they're um carrying on in a sort of an abstract way that that was very interesting how did you get access to the family well since i knew i don't have a personal relation to Maso, i knew i have to contact the family and it's also like on a legal side you just can't go out and do a film about Marceau or just show material of him you need you know like this art form is protected so you need the rights as well so it was clear to me that i have to contact the family and uh i i just honest i just wrote them a letter and they were really kind to invite me for dinner so i kind of no <laughs> pretty young no idea what to do i tried to explain what to do even though i didn't know really what the film would would be about i, okay. I tried to share more my passion about doing something about mime and about sounds and um well, they listened to me and they nodded all the time, but I, you know, they never agreed to my film project <laughs> in the beginning. But the nice thing was that also did not deny it, you know? So I just keep revisiting and I was kind of, you know, like experiencing if there would be something. I never thought about filming with them. I just thought, okay, to get to know each other. And then I discovered this place, uh, this theater where they still keep on doing theater. And I discovered there that they do a piece about Marcel and I felt, okay, they're, they're kind of the same. They're also rethinking of this past time and, and how the art of mime should go on. And, and I got to know to his grandson who I thought was a really interesting character. And so we just keep on, (laughs) kept on developing our relationship. The, uh, you know, speaking about the grandson, there's that so interesting scene 
with the the with the costume, with the clothing, with the dress, and with the the suit, and the you know the talking about the layers of who one is. That, that was such an interesting scene. How how did that come about? Where that that was very intimate and very personal. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, and yeah. How were you able to to arrive at that point? <laughs> Or, or, or is it even possible to describe? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was so vulnerable and trusting to you. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about Louis Chevalier. He's the grandson of Marcel Masson. And when I met him, he was only 14 years old. So really young personality, but yeah. he's like already tall and a dancer. So he's really, you know, like a charming personality. You would not think of a child, you know? And uh, so he was involved in the piece as well. And I talked about his role and he talked me pretty honest about his feelings because he also felt a bit of anger against his grandfather because everyone is like telling him, ah, oh, you're the grandson of Marcel Massot, but he thinks I'm, I did not really knew him. I have nothing to compare to, you know, like he feels really strange about it. And I, I could really understand it because I was also a person doing a big film about Marcel Massot and who am I to do this? You know, there's so many people who have a personal relationship about uh, to him or they know a lot of about him. So I could kind of deeply connect with the feelings of Louis, I think. And then he shows me a lot of his other dances and the way he is expressing his feelings through dance. And one day he shows me his dance with La Robe, with the dress, you know, he's dancing with a, a, a woman dress. Yeah. And he told me, okay, this is, this is for me, it's not a dress. It's really my skin, you know? So I, I learned that he's also somebody who's expressing himself through the body language and not through words. And I thought this is really important for the film because actually that's what happening when we are talking about mime, that we talking about inner expressions <clears throat> who are not yeah, the, uh, verbal, you know? Yeah, mm. the complexities. Let me ask you a question. So <clears throat> you grew up with a deaf, <clears throat> excuse me, a deaf father with all his traumatic, <clears throat> you know, childhood, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so there was a, a sense of what sound is it probably, you know, whether the absence of it or the presence of it. And, the, and you're a sound designer and a sound artist. So I'm thinking that your, your, your childhood was in, you know, that being around in this environment, maybe influence, how did that influence you to be have an interest in sound? And then, and then the, the challenges you're doing a film about mime and then how important in, in, is sound you know, you know, I say that you can't have sound without silence and you can't have silence without sound. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I was, my mind is spinning now. There's there's parts of the film, especially during Marceau's footage, when he's performing either in the studio or on the stage, I can hear his breath sometime. I can hear his footsteps. I can hear, I think there's one point in the, when the wait, the, the great scene with the waiter and the customer in the restaurant, I even hear a, fork drop i think which mm -hmm. probably you added you know s some element of very subtly this, this <laughs> culinary sound so i'm just can you talk about sound uh as yeah. an artist and how you, it came about and how important it is to the film 
Yeah. Well, there's the there's the superficial layer when you say, well, I do a film about mime and silence, like everyone thinking, ah, oh, I have a great idea. You just don't use any sound, you know? So this is like the superficial reaction I also have, of course, that I think, oh, maybe I just, in the middle of the film, I take a scene and there's no sound, of course. But for me, there's a deeper understanding of sound that kind of you try to do sound for the feeling of silence. And for me, silence is a really loud environment. Yeah, so going yeah. back to my childhood, it's kind of the same cliche, like people thinking, ah, oh, you had a deaf father and you were living in silence. Of course I am, but like being with deaf people, they're super loud because they're not aware of what they do, you know, mm. <laughs> or what produces right. sound. Yeah. So I think, uh, my role from childhood also on a psychological level is uh, being a translator, you know, like I, when my father can't speak to people or they don't understand, I try to translate and then maybe they some, say something rude. So as a child, you, you have to translate it back, but maybe you don't choose these words, you manipulate it a bit. So actually it's the same thing in documentary, you try try to tell the whole life of Marcel Marceau in 80 minutes with different people. It's kind of seeking for the truth, but there will never be any truth. So for me, it's really important to put my subjectiveness in it, you know, like how I feel or see things. And the sound is a great help for that because it's not a, um, it's not um, like a teacher telling you something. It's more on an essential level. So uh, when I started this project, I saw, like I told you before, I saw all this archive material and the archives are really short. Sometimes they have music, sometimes they're from a newsreel. Some, so somebody's telling about, oh, tomorrow Marcel Marceau will be cut. There's silence because the archive has no sound. Cut, there's another archive with la, 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 music. So if you cut it together in order to create a scene out of the archive, on a sound level, it's a complete randomized mess. So simple thing is you just mute it and you have silent archive, but it were, would, we would go back to, to this superficial vision of, okay, we have a film about mime and as soon as we have archive, it's just silent, you know? So uh, on the other side, I had this problem. Okay, I never met Marceau. So, uh, in the early stage, I found some clothes of him in the in the house of the family. So I was able, for example, to wear, wear his coat and to enter his skin, you know? I thought uh -huh. it's psychologically, it's really important because this is something what mimes do as well. They have to enter a skin of bodies else to become this person, you know? Mm -hmm. So I try to do this as a filmmaker as well. And I, I'm moving myself and I, I, I start to to hear how his movement could have sounded, you know? So I reacted all the scenes with his clothes. On the other hand, I used artificial intelligence to extract his briefing out of recordings who were available. That's so beautiful. I kind it's of- really beautiful. Yeah, it's really well done what you're describing now, the, those little subtle sounds and percussions. It's really, really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. So we, we kind of try to restore the archive also on a sound level and to put a complete different light on the very same recording 
but change through sound, you know, like a funny number can suddenly be really dramatic because you have really heavy footsteps and a heavy breathing, you know, mm -hmm. so it, it helps you to, to get another perspective on things. So I was really into this and we worked for months on the soundtrack. And for example, if you hear birds in the background or wind, it's just all you recorded human voices. It's just like uh, we re, uh, reproduced all sounds by human voices. For example, oh. the birds are singers who are mm. singing the birds. We, oh, really? we recorded uh, birds and we let them uh, replay 400 times slower, you know, and then we have singers singing this slowness and we re-speeded it. So you hear real birds, you know, mm -hmm. but when you listen carefully, you realize these are just human voices, you know. So the whole world building is made out of human humanity who tries to rebuild the sound of the nature and the world. That's, that's, that's beautiful. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. One of the beautiful scenes is I, I like because I, I also uh, am a... I'm passionate about trains, but the scenes of the children on the on the railway with the squeal of the wheels and the sounds and the the, the images of nature. There's the going over the bridge with the with the you know the 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 turmoiling water, the the tunnel receding, the children looking, you know, the one child looking between the seat. It's really a beautiful yeah. uh, section there that combines mm -hmm. sound and image. Uh, I, I appreciate that very much. Thank Ask you. about uh, Rob Merman. Yeah, I, I, I was really interested how you got uh, connected to Rob Merman. And it, it, he's an amazing uh, mime, but he is using mime as a healing tool for people with a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. And the images of his work, of him talking, but also working with his, his um, uh, companions in this class using mime uh, how how did you get connected with rob well when we started the project we had uh, producers who thought okay let's do a big mime film and we just search for the most successful biggest mime in the world still alive in order to show like the audience okay mime is still existing it's still huge and there's still big audience around it so i kind of like the idea but the truth is it is not the fact you know like we tend not to go to mime shows every night. <laughs> it, of course it is still alive and that's beautiful, but it's at the moment not popular and that's okay. But still there's still so interesting people to meet. And I, I, I did a big research. I met a lot of people, interesting artists. I could see other artists who I felt, okay, they were inspired deeply by mime. They're doing something else, but still there's still this art living on. And so I also came across Rob Merman through the internet, you know, and then like, I thought, ah, oh, this is interesting what he's doing. I did not really understand. And like one producer was like, okay, but he's not, you know, like, he's not kind of the best artist yeah, yeah, yeah. alive, you know, like in this perspective. Right. And he's then not, I learned. He's not touring the world like Marceau did. Yeah. But, but still, you know, <laughs> then, then we learned about. Uh, him that he's got Parkinson's disease and that like being a mime his whole life has a new meaning now and this was again for me really interesting because I came back to this key sentence of this old lady like mime saved my life you know 
I kind of found this key sentence in order to choose my protagonist for the film. I just wanted to have people in the film who, of course, have an inspiration or a connection to Masso, but who are really using mime in order to survive, you know. And Rob is, for me, a really great example who is fighting his disease and the disease of others in order to learn from his body work experience and from mime. And I just wrote him, we had a Zoom like we have now, and then I just told him, okay, uh, in three months I will be at your door. And he was like, okay. <laughs> and I think he was not really sure if, <laughs> if I would come or not. <laughs> but I was there and we spent uh, two beautiful weeks together shooting this uh, episode of the film. Yeah, it's very, uh, it's very powerful. Very powerful stuff. Um, what do you what do you want the audience to take away from this project? I mean, what if one watches the film? What would you hope that they would feel and remember and think about? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, this film should invite you to put any emotions you have in it. So, if you're feeling happy, if you're feeling sad or guilty, I don't know, you, sh you should be able to put this emotion in it and to get something bad. So I, I don't want to guide the audience. But of course, I have two big visions. The first vision is thinking of Marcel. Why, why is it important to make a film of him? Of course, he was important artist and so on. But for me, this is not enough as a reason to do a film. For me, it was really important to see a person who was going into war, who was fighting in the war without any weapon. So mm. in, in times where we have uh, to be involved in wars or in fightings and to find a way uh, to be part of a war without any weapon and to recall everyone that we are one human being and together on this world, I think this is really important and for me, in, in this sense, he's for me kind of a, a hero. Uh, this is one thing, and I think you can experience this human humanity in the film a bit, uh, or it was really important for me to, to put it out. And the other uh, thing is that, like, watching a film can be entertaining, or I don't know why we watch film, but for most people, or sometimes also for me, it is to escape your reality, you know, you come back from work, you feel kind of tired, or you have to think about something and you think like, oh, I can stop work or stop my problems. I want to enter a world where I can just, just fly away and forget the things, but maybe also in the inner process, rethink about myself. And maybe, and I think this is wonderful with that the film has a part film can have a power to find new ways of living, you know, to find a force to rethink your life and to think, okay, maybe I, I change tomorrow or something. And the film should be, I think, also be an invitation to everyone to rediscover the ways of communicating without words, to re-experience kind of the own body and the own purpose, why we are on earth with our body and not just with our thoughts. And um, 
yeah, I think this is also a reason why I put so many different characters in the film in order to show that this this uh, this diversity is 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 alive and it's available and it is in all of us. I think. Did you did you um, learn more about your own craft or did, how did it change you? <laughs> you know, did, what did um, are you a stronger filmmaker now, or, or are you, or just you to continue? Invite you to continue further. I hope so. I mean, it's so hard to to analyze or judge yourself, but yeah. I learned a lot, and now, like after the film, I I I became a father for the first time, and like seeing the world through the eyes of a children like showed me how much I learned to watch at things differently and that there's always two sides of a stone or of a problem or of a conflict or of a person. And that mime is kind of a playful, playful way to think about, about the different dimensions we are going through. Mm. So, um, there's, just, I just learned that there's so much more to discover. Uh, yeah. I, uh, when you to were keep on. <laughs> sorry. When you were talking about uh, Marceau and his experiences in the war, which like there's been a commercial film about that called Resistance about yeah. his life. But um, it, the thing that it, it, I remember is when I was in high school, going to a performance by Marceau and he had a particular piece about war. And and one that was a, about Bip going to war, but another one was just about memories. And he's in the attic remembering things. But I, I remember being so moved by it. And it was it was nobody telling me a story. It was all in my imagination and this man's performance on the stage. And I, I remember just like standing up and and giving a standing ovation in this giant auditorium where nobody else was standing up but i was just like it was it blew me away and yeah. to me this this idea of creating using images in in film and in mime you you're working with images that they go straight to your your soul your heart it doesn't get filtered through your brain and your language it's very powerful the, the uh I always say the mind brain is the mm. cinematic brain. I mean, the two mm. or the animation brain, they're two, they're very, they're, it's the same thought process, I think. Um, the way, the way, for instance, Marceau could do a close up just by concentrating his particular gesture. It's like the whole audience zooms in for a cinematic close up. Yeah. yeah. Wow, what a great conversation. Um, Oh, you have to ask James about um, you, the process of a documentary. You, you actually mentioned this, like you, you film a lot, but you only use like a small percentage of it, right? So do you have like a lot of outtakes from this project that you're going to use to make another project? <laughs> yeah, I saw something about a third documentary and some of the information. Have you have you done an, a second piece uh, or done something differently? Or you, do you have plans to do anything more with this? subject with the subject no I, at the moment not at all and actually it's not 
actually I do not have so much more material because I prepare a lot and I think about shooting a lot and then I, it takes me a whole day to just shoot I don't know some some pictures so I need a lot of time but I do not really have so much material and the funny thing is if you have kind of this perspective like I told you about this uh my, the mime saved my life it's when you rewatch all the archive with this sentence in your head, there's a lot of archive which is not usable for me, uh, which is uh -huh. great, but under this perspective, it is not. So, of course, maybe uh, we could do a completely different film with a different perspective. And mm -hmm. for me, I would be really happy, you know, to see other people doing film about mimes or about Maso. I think there's much more to discover, but I think it would be interesting to add just other perspectives on it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. This has been a great conversation, Marisius. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. To, I know uh, that I know that our listeners are going to be very interested in this film and we'll include a link to how they can access the film probably through Vimeo here in the United States, but um right. uh, we'll we'll connect also to your website so that they can um find out that way also. Yeah, I, I, I'm so happy that you're doing this. And uh, I just told you quickly before that, uh, unfortunately, I was not happy. Uh, I was not able to to travel to the US for for the for presentation of festivals for the film because I was completely busy here. So I'm so happy uh, about people seeing the film or if they if they have a question or feel something, if they write me, if you Google my name, you'll find my email. Yeah, yeah. So to get a bit uh, interaction with people I, I could not really experience this yet in the US so I'm really curious about your reactions well we what? will uh, we will uh, spread the word and do it it's a great film thanks great, yes great film and thank you yes. so ladies and gentlemen that was an interview with Mauritius Brooks from Zurich the filmmaker of the art of silence thank you so much thank you very much and thank we'll you so much James and Karen time. goodbye See you next time. Ciao. Thank you for listening to the final episode of season four of the Mime Radio Show podcast. Thank you so much for the support. Be sure to like and subscribe and join in next month for the launch of season five.